Ladies and gentlemen, this is Breaking Ice and Building Bridges. I'm your one and only host, maybe Mr. Byron Jackson. Dun, 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 dun. Hey, I'm pretty excited to be here today. I have uh, Bridget. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show today. I'm stoked to be with y'all. Bridget is like a professional musician, Amy. I haven't introduced Amy yet, but she's like the star. So this is kind of like Jimmy Fallon, where you and I like banter, and then we bring on the big guns when we introduce Amy. (laughs) So this is like our bantering. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. What about Amy? (laughs) (laughs) Is Amy going to banter too? No, she doesn't get to banter now, because see, she's... It's you and I. We have to warm the audience up. Okay. We're here for your entertainment. <laughs> there's two people out there listening. And so <laughs> we, two. we... we're <laughs> Santiago doesn't count. No. <laughs> oh, we're just kidding. We love even, you, Santiago. He's not even listening. He's, he's, he has, he has he something. Even he's listening to music nothing. over there. There he goes. He's smiling back. Now, you play music, right? That's right. All right, so play play a little. Our, we both have ukuleles, for those of you that can't see us, which that would be none of you but Amy. But anyway, so are we tuned? Sounds pretty good to me. Well, she has a book. Welcome, Amy. Oh, well, thank you. Amy, I'm so sorry I had to play that for a sec. The true star here on the show today is Amy. We are happy to have you. Thank you very much. I love that intro and the welcome. You shine very brightly. I've only known you for a few moments, but I can already tell you're a very kind and happy person. Ah, thank you. I choose happiness. You do. Amy, Amy is a lady, you, okay, this, let me do adjectives to describe you, and then we'll let you describe yourself. You make stuff happen. I have never seen you be around anything where you're not making people think, I mean, you're just making stuff happen. I look up one moment, you're in California, and you're doing something, then you're over here in Oklahoma, I mean, you just are an amazing, amazingly vibrant person. And so thank, thank you, you for being here. Well, it takes one to know one. So I, I'm very honored to be in this room with you all and uh, looking forward to our chat today. Thank you. Now you, you are Amy Lee. What do you, tell me what you do for a living first, just so. Oh, I, I sip that. wine in my onesie for a living. That's what I Love do. That. Yeah. Occasionally, I do, you know, publish a few books and go to presentations, okay, conferences. Okay, back up here. What is a onesie? It's kind of like what you have on, Byron, but it's full. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> this is going to be a long one. <laughs> is this edited? <laughs> Not at no, all. no, no, no. Um, it's what I have on. I love what you have on. No, you know, a onesie, it depends on how you look at it, right? Because it can can have flaps too. 
Um, it's just a one piece overall coverall, whatever you want to call it, you know, that covers your whole body. And I just so like long underwear all the way up. Pretty much. Or yeah. A night, like a night shirt. Yeah. And you can have like little ears that come out of it, scales that come out of it. It's whatever Sorry. floats your boat. Yeah, yeah, my roommate has a shark PJ outfit. It's like yeah. a shark onesie. I am wanting one of these. Let's do it. They're Let's pretty get cool. possibilities. That would be yeah. Possibilities onesies. Yes, that'd be pretty. I'm cool. down. Oh, talk about merch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is okay. Notes to somebody. So that's what you do now. You're married. I'm married uh, to Joe. We've been together for, gosh, uh, 18 years, I think. Something like that. And uh, I have a son who's 14. We're working on a book together that is supposed to come out this uh, spring. Uh, though he's sort of abandoned me. So Bus Stop Buddies, uh, I might have to take off his name on the title. <laughs> so oh, you ca- it's called Bus Stop Buddies? Yeah, it's a, a middle grade book about friendship and bullying. And Was he bullied? Oh, all the time. Um, so Preston is, you know, he's he's little like me. And so growing up, he's always being bullied for his size. But um, he manages it. He, he knows how to deal with it now because he was enrolled in MMA for a while since he was eight years old. You know, he's really heavily into like, um, <clears throat> gosh, football, like sports. He's just all over the place. And he's pretty smart and funny and good looking. So I think that personality has really helped me to or helped him to to shine a little bit. It's very hard as a parent to sit on the outside of that, isn't it? And it's like, you just want to go punch the kids out yourself. And It is hard. It's even harder when you don't know about it. Right. Oh. But, <clears throat> you know, luckily Preston is pretty, pretty good about communicating. He, he wears his, you know, emotions on his sleeve. So mommy can usually tell what's going on. And I think the worst part for him was, you know, moving here from Seattle starting over, going from a private school to a public school and just dealing with all the change and getting bullied. And I remember one time he came home just so distraught. And I said, you know, what can I do to help you fix this or make it better? And he wanted to write a letter to the vice principal. And so we wrote it together and then I sent it off. And the next day, the vice principal called Preston into his office. They had a nice chat and it made him feel a lot better. And so, you know, it's a it's a two way street, um, but you don't always know what's on the other side until you you reach out and try to get to the bottom of things. You know, what's so fascinating in that story to me is how he felt empowered enough that he wanted to deal with it. Like he wanted your support, but he wanted to be the one to deal with it. Yeah, I was so very that, proud of him. Yeah, that's that's some good stuff there. Yeah, because he had to feel empowered. He had to feel like he had a voice and to advocate for himself, but he just didn't know how to get to that point, you know? And so I think as adults, as parents, you know, we're responsible for kind of leading or at least clearing the path for them. Now, were you bullied as a child? Oh, yes. Um, same situation, you know, just being small for my size, but also on, compounded on that is just I was a refugee, right? Like I came from Vietnam as part of the product of the Vietnam War or the American War is what we called it over there. And so coming here to the United States when I was five, um, fresh off the boat, as they say, and just not understanding 
how to navigate the U.S. matrix, right? And I also had a, a heart condition. I was born with a congenital heart defect. And so, you know, being told that you, you won't see past five years old was pretty scary for my mom. And so she hustled to come to the United States to get me my, the medical care that I needed. Luckily, we landed in Seattle just at the nick of time because shortly afterwards, I was rushed to Seattle Children's Hospital and had open heart surgery. And that saved my life. And, you know, we talked about me turning 50 this year. So it's a huge, huge milestone. Yeah, because you wasn't expected to make it past five. No. Good job. Yeah. So thank you to Dr. Dale Hall, you know, at Seattle Children's. Thank you to his wife, who at the time was the medical illustrator there. And Susan Hall, she was like one in a million. She stood there in the operating room and um, drew the operation itself. And so she had like four or five different renderings of my heart surgery that she ended up giving to my mom. And then <clears throat> fast forward, um, I think it was like maybe two or three years ago, uh, I got to meet them both for the first time and, um, you know, say thank you to my to my heroes who saved my life because I never knew who did the hope, the open heart surgery or who, you know, drew those, those drawings. You know, I've always thought just being like it, living in Norman where the campus is. So being around a lot of international students that have come here. And so what I find is that when people go to other countries, they learn the obvious uh, codes of behavior but the subtle cultural ones, they don't know. And uh, it's like we don't teach that anyplace. We don't. It's, some, it's hard to teach, though, you know, unless yeah. you actually live it and yeah. are exposed to it. Um, and, I mean, that's one of the things that I encourage with Preston, my son, is to get out there and see how other people live. You know, we, we travel and we also, when he was younger, I would take him to tent cities and we would volunteer. And, you know, he got re comfortable real quick with like, you know, stuffing tampons into a box because that's what you do to help our community. So I'm, I'm pretty proud that he's, you know, being raised well and, and really receptive to um, what's around him. But he's still a typical teenager. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's great that you're teaching him empathy and sort of how to connect with people, you know, from all walks of life. Yeah, it's um, I think that's important. We need to, as a community, right, do that for our, for our youth and teach them responsible things like how to manage their finances. That's something that we, we don't teach our kids at all. Today, I got upset with him because he promised to do yard work at 1230 and then he pushed it to 230. I'm like, no, you made a commitment. <laughs> Get your butt up. He'll run out there for 30 minutes and go, I'm done. Yeah. Well, you know, you can you can only take so much. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. My son was like that. And now he like owns a restaurant. So and everything has to be meticulously right. Mm. I go, where was this when you were at home? When See, they, they watch and they learn. They don't always exemplify everything at once, but you give them that foundation. Well, I thought it was really interesting with Preston that the way that he learned to fight back was the pen and writing and how much you write. And so, you know, he does. He stops and why. So now you have 
62 books you've written. <laughs> no, no, don't believe it. <laughs> oh, I believe it. I believe it. I can tell you anything that. Yeah, we're so gullible. Byron's easy to, to believe. No, I've, um, I've written six, yeah, six, six books published, three anthologies published. Um, two are in the works. One is Bus Stop Buddies and the other one is my memoir. And then on top of that, of course, I run Quillhawk Publishing and that officially turns two years old this August. So uh, it was formed in 2019, but I never opened the doors to other authors until uh, 2022. Now, do you have other authors that come to you? I do, which is amazing because uh, for being only a year and a half or almost two years old, we have 32 authors and um, two of them are on their third book of publication. Actually, one of them already published their third. And um, I've got two more that just signed today. (laughs) So, So, yeah. So so if you publish for me, so Bridget and I would write a book. And then we come to you to publish. And so we pay you and you put it all together for us. So we have different models, different publishing packages, but basically Quillhawk Publishing is a hybrid publishing company and we help writers indie publish their work. So the writers actually own their rights and royalties to their work, but we are their partner every step of the way through a consultative approach. And so, and there's different publishing packages and there's also a la carte options, right? Because everybody's journey is different. Everybody's needs are different, but we're there to provide the resource. So if you need an illustrator, if you need an editor, if you need an audiobook narrator, I mean, whatever it is from A to Z and even beyond, because we, um, in that respect, we're, we're different because we love to help other authors promote their work. And yeah. so it's, it's truly a partnership. How do we get a hold of your publishing partner? If you go to quillhawkpublishing.com. Quillhawkpublishing.com. Yes. You heard it here. And I get like a 5% discount. If you Only come, if I get free podcast interviews every year. <laughs> <laughs> she knows how to bargain. <laughs> that's, that's a deal. That's a deal. And so, we'll, so that sounds so fascinating. Now, do you write, Bridget? I don't, unfortunately. Do but I music? have a lot of respect for the craft. I do write lyrics. That's um, what I was thinking. Don't you write songs? I do, I do. But I'm I'm honestly, I'm more into like the instrumentation and like the melodies and stuff like that, kind of like the composition and such that my lyrics are a little more abstract in a sense. And I kind of like to let the audience kind of decide what it means and decipher. Um, but I've been trying to work my way into using it as more of an outlet. What about the poetry? writing end of things? Um, not, ne- I don't write poetry necessarily. I, I, unless you consider like the lyrics a, a form of poetry, then I guess, yes, in a sense, they do have to kind of match rhythmically and the, the vowels and everything have to sound right at the right time. And I guess I'm more concerned with having like the pronunciations of words kind of fit in with the song and then kind of going in and filling in some of the lyrics afterwards. So I have a very backwards approach at it, I think. I think a lot of people write lyrics first and then kind of like put it into the song. And whereas I like focus a lot on the melody and then try to find ways to fit words and meanings in that way. And I think that's why it turns out to be like really abstract a lot of times. 
So I just watched the Bob Marley movie a couple oh, nights you went ago. To see it? Yes, and it, it reminded me of that because in some ways he's like that too. The melody comes first, you know, and then he interweaves it with some lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah, because um, the melody can turn out a lot differently if you write the lyrics first, mm-hmm. you know. So depending on which approach you do, it can change the song yeah. as a whole. So you liked that movie? I loved it. Uh, Preston and my husband Joe and I, the three of us, went and saw it. It was lovely. I so want to see. And the actor was amazing. I mean, to play Bob that. Marley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we got your publishing company off the ground here. And you do this all out of your house in a onesie. <laughs> Don't forget the wine. Yes, I have that. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget the wine. <laughs> Scotch wine, whatever. No, um... I do a lot of it out of the house, I and I do it on the road, as you know. You know, I travel uh, when I get a chance to, and I was just in Kansas City uh, for the AWP conference, which was my very first conference where I got to speak with a truly international group of people because every year nine to 12,000 people fly in from all over the world to attend the AWP conference, and next year it'll be in Los Angeles, but it was now my first was, panel. What are those? letters stand for? It's the Association of Writers uh, Program, basically, Writers and Writing Program. And uh, they've been around for decades, but yeah, it's huge. Now, when did you publish your first book? 2019 of May, May 2019. So this will be five years. Six in five years. Yeah. And that's the beauty of indie publishing, right? Because you can pump them out as fast as you want. Um, You're not a slave to time, right? Um, With traditional publishing, usually depending on who you go with, you'll have to get an agent. So you're pitching to uh, agents, you're querying them. Once you actually get representation, then they have to go and sell your book to a publisher. Um, If you go with a smaller press, like an indie smaller press, um, you usually don't have to be agented. You can query directly to the editor or the house. But um, yeah, but it takes time. You know, a lot of authors will take will get 30, 40 rejections before they get a literary agent that says yes. And that can take a year, could take two years. You get that book out another year or two later, you know. So by the time you finish your book, it could be five years, really, to see it on the shelf. So indie publishing you can is get beautiful. six in five years. Yes. <laughs> and so, more. So how much would it cost? Let's say if I wrote a book, how many pages? Depends on what you're writing. If you're writing. 500. Wow. Wow. Okay. We got a fantasy going on here. (laughs) I'm just throwing it out there. So I wrote a book, 500 pages. About what would that cost to publish? So actually, if you self-publish, that could cost you nothing, to be honest with you, other than you should hire an editor, of course. Um, Editors usually cost between one and three cents per word. So every word counts. Um, so going down from 500 pages then. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah. 10 pages. <laughs> 10 pages. <laughs> 200. <laughs> no, but if you like, if you indie publish on Amazon KDP's platform and you push out an ebook, the only thing that's going to cost you really is the editor because you can create your own, you know, um, cover. It may not be good. That's why you should probably hire a professional. But if we were talking about really dollars, it could cost you nothing really. Because Amazon KDP doesn't charge you to publish. But that's 
You do something different. I do. So what I do is I um, provide my authors with the ISBN numbers. And so in the United States, uh, Bowker is the official agency that provides ISBN numbers. And that is like the fingerprint of a book, right? So for every format of a book you have, you have to have one of those numbers, whether it be a translated work or a large print, you know, paperback, hardcover, what have you. So our authors get two ISBN numbers. They get um, graphics that we create to help promote their work. And then we promote alongside them. Um, so we usually use Bookbrush or Canva or something like that to create those graphics. Um, of course, you're joining a community of authors and me. You have basically full access to me. I normally charge uh, for coaching per hour. So that is obviously waived when an author signs with us. And then we... Um, we do everything from creating an author page for them on their website, on our website, sorry. We put their books on our bookshelf. So we drive the traffic that gets driven to the Quill Hop Publishing website. Um, you know, they obviously will take advantage of that because their books are on there. But there's a ton of other little services that we provide, including a free website, uh, a basic one. Because a lot of authors are just starting or they don't think about it, right? So they don't have a website. So 200-page book. Yes. Called Bridget. <laughs> so we want sounds to like a memoir or yeah, a uh, women's fiction i don't Bridget, know the memoir yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be interesting if byron writes it That's yeah. true. so about just give me a ballpark there is okay if you were to publish with quillhawk publishing yeah. i would expect or i would say expect to pay around um close to $5,000 because okay. that's going to cover your editing. It's going to cover the ISBN numbers and, um, you know, it's going to cover editing that kind of, or did I say editing, um, cover editing and just, uh, ISBN numbers and a few other things. See, that's not that much. Yeah, that's no, it really is reasonable. Yeah. I was just trying to get that number out of you. It's yeah. like, you know, my used car salesman. <laughs> How much does this car cost? Well, if you go on our website, the numbers are right there. Are they? Mm-hmm. Now, remember, do you remember, what was your first book? Snow in Vietnam. Okay. And it's the first of a trilogy. So I want to hear about that. How, oh, you want to hear about that? That and your recent work. And I want to know about your inspiration behind your writings. Oh, thank you. I have quite a few questions. Okay. Well, Snow in Vietnam uh, is the first in a trilogy. And it's based on my mom's and my escape from Vietnam after the fall of Saigon. So we actually, after the communists rolled in, um, my mom went into hustle mode and went underground to sell drugs and whatever she could to survive. And it's our escape story, how we came to the refugee camps, all that stuff. And, you know, what started my journey as a writer was when she passed away in 2017, I was just devastated and I quit my job. And I was like, I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm not going back to corporate right now. And I ended up taking two years off to write my mom's story because I felt like God was telling me to not only write her story to preserve her our history, but to really unearth my history. Because, you know, I was just floating along thinking, I'm just a typical American person doing my thing. But I didn't realize that there's this whole history about the Vietnam War and the boat people and the diaspora itself. And so that's what started my journey. After the book came out, there were a lot of interest in, well, what happens next? How did you resettle in America? How did you deal with the PTSD? How did the Vietnam vets deal with everything? And so I wrote Snow in Seattle, which was the sequel. And then, of course, you can't have a sequel without, you know, a third book. At least that's what I thought. 
And everybody really wanted to know, well, what happened to the little five-year-old that was supposed to, you know, not make it? And so I wrote a coming-of-age story about my life as a teenager and how I navigated the American culture and the Vietnamese culture and all the BS that goes in between. So, and it's a cookbook. So if you like to cook. (laughs) Wow, um, yes. Yeah, the second half of the book has over 100 pages of family photos and recipes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. Wow. Do you have any more questions? You're doing pretty good. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, Gosh, I guess. Yeah. It just sounds like there's a lot of like, it sounds like you lived through a lot of history yourself. And now it's almost like it shares your personal story, but it is also very informative, I feel like, to people who might not know much about it. Yeah, I just gave us a talk to a Criterion book club out at the country club um, last week. And it's amazing. I had like 30 women just sitting there not knowing anything about the war and, um, you know, the admiration kids who were left behind by the by the troops and just all this history that you don't hear about because it's always been told from a Western lens. And because of those who have gone through the trauma, you know, it's it takes them at least 40 years to get to that point where they can share a little bit of it. Oh, my so. gosh, I can imagine. I can imagine that there's a lot to process, especially with your mom passing. I'm really sorry to hear about that, too. Thank you. What was your what was your anxiety like? right before you publish, like you wrote the book Mm. and then, but then, I mean, you're getting ready to share your innermost thoughts with the world. How was that for you? It's always scary because it's such an intimate process. You're alone, you know, in your head for two years and you you literally cry for your characters. Um, I actually talked to my dad, who was pretty absent in my life growing up, and I just wanted to come clean. And I said, Dad, this there's this book's coming out. It doesn't portray you in a very good light, but I want you to know that it's coming. And hopefully I get your blessing, which he gave me his blessing and said, you know, this is your truth and this is your mom's truth. Tell it. But, yeah, I had anxiety because I didn't know. Will people think that I'm a horrible writer? Will people think, oh, I got my facts wrong, my history wrong? That was my biggest concern was, you know, I was trying to do so much research, but what if it's wrong? (laughs) And then you're debuting as an author and then you're not legitimate or, you know, you're seen as a fraud or whatever. And and also reliving, I feel like, a lot of that too. For sure. And every time I talk about my mom, I end up crying. So it doesn't matter if it's a podcast or if I'm in front of a panel or whatever. It's, It's such an emotional thing, you know, and... Um, trauma never goes away. And no. so, and it lives on in your kids. So I try to be careful about that. There is healing though. Yeah. And writing is very healing for many people. It's through their arts and mm-hmm. whether it be music or, you Absolutely. know, yeah, you just got to find that avenue for yourself. I do these little blogs that I've been doing and I just know like I'll write something. And so I ne- the moment I send it, I start having doubts. Like, will people not understand what I'm doing? Da, 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 da. And then, like, once I have, like, you know, a few people kind of go, oh, that's cool, then I'm okay. Even if people completely misunderstand what I'm saying, 
but I do have that moment of anxiety. So I just wonder, is it the same thing with your, your books? Yeah, too? that's natural, though, because you never know how people are going to yeah. read so it. How do you overcome that? You personally, like, how do you just keep going through and writing and writing and believing in what you're doing? The ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> well, part of it is it's not for them. It's for me. That's a good point. Right. This writing journey is for me. And honestly, for you authors out there who get your first one star review, to me, that is legitimately you're an author now because you can have all your friends and families who love you and they read it and they give you four or five star reviews, whatever. But when you get that first one star review, you're like, okay, I've reached someone beyond my immediate circle who really took the time to read it. And if they hated it, it just didn't resonate with them. And that's okay. You know, but I always think that Did you get a one star. Uh, I got a two star. And it was just a rating. It was like a two-star hit and run kind of thing. You know, they didn't leave they me didn't a review. Leave any. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend that was a bot. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. It's, again, it's 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 for me more than anything. So, how often do you write? Is it every day? Is it like? It is almost every day, mm-hmm. and it's a time suck. I will tell you, like, and I'm also like taking these classes. There's a method writing class that I'm taking from uh, Jack Grapes in LA, and he has a six week course that is four hours every Tuesday. Wow. And I sit there in my onesie, usually with, you know, wine or beer. And I sit there for four hours to learn about the method of writing and the concepts. And it's amazing. People have stories, but they don't know how to write to a point where it it really hits somebody, you know, in the heart. So what is your approach? Is it, do you start more as like a free write or do you just try to recall things? Like what, what, what is your approach? She's asking some good questions. Um, she does. I'm. I'm, I'm going to leave. <laughs> you're just here for go to the bathroom. I'll be. You're back. just here for beauty. <laughs> 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 yes, Sam. <am>. Keep going. <laughs> so there's different kinds of writers, right? There's the pantsers and the plotters, and then the plantsers are the in betweeners, right? And so the pantsers, that's me. I fly by the seat of my pants. I don't structure my stories. I I just write. And sometimes it's garbage, but the more you do it, it's like a muscle, you know, the more you do it, something good comes out of it and it gets stronger. And then that's what editors are for. You know, they help you to massage it and turn those coals into diamonds. But I, I like to write women's and historical fiction because sometimes um, you can take liberties to create a character that kind of bridges a story together or what have you. But the characters kind of dictate where where the story goes and, you know, what is going to happen to them. It's kind of a strange thing to say, but unless you're a writer and you're a pantser, you won't understand that. But literally, us writers who are pantsers, we, we think about our characters all the time. And, you know, when I was writing Snow in Vietnam, I had to kill off one of my characters because her purpose was met and she wasn't needed anymore. And she had to die for a, a message. <laughs> And I literally cried over her, you know, and she's not real. But I know that somewhere out there, there was a Mrs. Tran who was like her, who went through what she did. And so I cried for that person, you know. That makes sense. A lot, too. You're just, I'm just so impressed with your um, fire. I mean, you have such a fire 
inside of you that is really inspiring to listen to you talk. And I really have just enjoyed listening to Bridget and you talk. Thank you. Thanks. Don't you think she has like this fire in her? Yeah, I can definitely tell you're an an artist, you know, just by hearing about some of your processes and your inspiration. It's, I think being an an artist can be really hard sometimes because you really like, there's so many challenges you have to overcome, not just externally, but internally too, which you kind of brushed upon. Um, And I just have, you know, a lot of respect because I feel like artists so much, it's so needed in this world. And it's, something that makes movement and change in other people around you. So I know you say that you do your writing for yourself, but I believe that, you know, it's, it's just, it's a trickle effect and the people who resonate with it. I mean, you might have a two star review here and then, but I, you know, I think that ultimately you're doing a really, really great thing for people, whether you see that or not. Thank you. I um, saw this TED Talk on creativity some years ago. And this lady was saying that creativity used to not be assigned to people. That it would be like, let's say we were out dancing and we just kind of got in this spirit of dancing around the campfire. And so we could say that we tapped into the spirit of creativity. When the Renaissance happened, we started assigning creativity to people, like they are a great painter, are a great artist. But she actually believed that creativity is this force that's there that we are fortunate enough to tap into sometimes. And it sounds like you tap, you have learned that secret of how to tap into that force of creativity. And daily, Interesting. too, it sounds um, like. I think we all are. It's not just a matter of tapping into it, but just being open to, to, re- it, to, re- to receive it. That's a much it. better word, yes. Yeah, because there is an energy out there, a force out there, and I think it's it's like the sixth or the seventh or whatever, eighth sense, right? Yes. That um, And art and creativity is, I think, something that we all have. We just don't realize it, and it's it's different for everyone. So I was lucky that writing was my calling. Music, I music is, like music's definitely not my calling. <laughs> music. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. How old were you when you started writing? Um, what was that? Twenty nineteen. So that was five years when I published, and then two years before that. So that was yeah, seven years before that. So I was forty three. Oh, yeah. There's oh time for you, yeah. And you, you well, just had just started then. Yeah, wow, I just pivoted because I was working. I was working for corporate uh, at Microsoft and T-Mobile, so technology was my space. You know, I was traveling a lot. I was working with the executives and the board, and it just was the golden handcuffs. It was just too much. You know, eighty-hour work weeks was ridiculous, and that's one of the reasons why I was like, I'm burnt out. I'm I'm not going back. And I had to figure out what I was going to pivot to, um, and I just opened myself up to hear God's you know, voice saying, you need to write your mom's story. And he just led me from there. I took writing courses and really got myself out there, became less of an introvert because I have to promote my work, but I also have to interview people um, to write my story. So yeah, it's a growth process for sure. Well, I wanted to ask because you're obviously a creative person and I wanted to know what other, um, I guess, art forms 
you do because I know that you had to have been doing more art. I um I do draw. Oh, drawing. As a matter of fact, you are looking at the number one um artist when I was what 14 <laughs> in um in California. I entered a, a drawing contest and I won and I was like on the news and you know got prizes you know I wasn't into football then but I got like San Diego Chargers memorabilia and stuff like that what but, kind yeah. of drawings like um I did a um a stippling actually so it's bazillion dots of ink um that formed a portrait of Michelle Yeoh and um I also did fun things like Patrick Nagel drawings or you know the Simpsons just whatever but Love it, Tennis. Gymnastic. But thank you. That was a good question. You could come back. Okay. <laughs> I have permission. You can be the co-pilot. <laughs> I might not I be able permission. to. Amy, it is always a pleasure. Come back. I would love to. Yeah. Come back. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Just me. It was nice to meet you and hear about your story. You too. And um I'm interested to see your books. Yes. So, so there, where can we for find the Oklahomans here? Yeah, but that's yours. I was going to let her borrow. Okay. Well, you can go to the library and you can go to the bookstores or you can just on, go online, online retailers. Um, yeah. Or you can borrow mine, but she doesn't make quite as Which much. Which book should you start with? Anyone. Start with Snow in Vietnam and then follow the trilogy. Um, the last book that I published was called The Copper Phoenix, and that's a really hard one to read. So um, it's very triggering. It's about sexual abuse. But it's an auto fiction about my best friend's life. And I ghost wrote that for, took me four years to write that. But that too is also in the library and in the bookstores. So, yeah. All right. Bridget, thank you for sitting in. Thanks for having me here. (laughs) And this is Byron Jackson. And thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Whatever they say. At the end of Breaking Eyes Building Bridges. You going to close this out with a little bit of song? Yeah. I lost my creativity It's never truly lost Oh, there it is. It's under the closet. You just had to find it. I just found it right here. Thank you, Bridget, for helping me. You're so welcome. It's always with you wherever you go. Oh, thank you, Sensei. (laughs) Connecting a community through conversation. Breaking Ice, Building Bridges is the Possibilities Community Podcast Platform. Thanks for tuning in.